with Matt and Ray for spending countless hours volunteering their time to lead this church. And one of the privileges I have is is to sit under their preaching um, when they give me a week to enjoy uh, some time away for vacation. So I am grateful for both of them, and I hope you'll come um, be engaged this morning and then come back for our worship this afternoon to hear from Ray as well. Morning, everybody. Uh, Brad, it's not countless hours. I've I've actually counted them. I'll give you a tally next time I see you. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be reading quite a bit of scripture this morning. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 26 through chapter 2, verse 24, which is which is all of chapter 2. And the sermon title is So God Created Man, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, Adam and Eve as they were created from the hand of God. And as you get there, you might be asking yourself why I picked this passage, why preach about such a basic concept as God creating man. Well, here's why, because we're so far from seeing humanity as created by God, unfallen humanity. All we've ever seen and all we've ever known is fallen humanity. That's what we see in others, and that's what we see in ourselves. And we tend to forget that man was made upright by God. There's only one page in my Bible that discusses man um, prior to the fall. Um, so, And that ca- uh, page contains some very important truth. And so as we think about what we're going to look at this morning, I want you to consider a children's story That might help you, Um, one that you should all be familiar with. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. The wall that he sat on was was high. So he was helplessly smashed to bits because of the, the greatness of the fall. And that's what I want us to consider this morning, the height of the wall from which Adam and Eve fell, the high and glorious condition in which God created Adam and Eve. So let's pray and then we'll read our text. Father, thank you for blessing us with the creation story, the true creation story. We pray that as we read this this morning that your spirit would help us to see what we have never seen in our fallen condition. Mankind created um, by your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second is the Gihon. In it, uh, it is the one that flowed out of the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. This is God's word. Okay, let's pay close attention to some of the important things that God tells us about man here. Okay, the first thing is that man was created as a special creation. Man was made on the last day of creation. And 
You know, I've heard people laugh at the idea that the universe was created in a week. I mean, really, who actually believes that? It wasn't created in a week. It was created in six days. We see that God engages in triune discussion here. Let us make man. And we see the personal touch of God forming man from the dust. Dust of the earth and the breath of heaven. And man becomes a living creature. Have you considered that there were no eyewitnesses to this account? The only eyewitness here is God. And God reveals to us the truth about human origins. Um, there have been many competing theories of human origins. And I just want to point out the obvious that none of these men with these competing theories were there. The only one who was there has given us his story of how it happened. So let's, let's remember that when we're being made to look foolish for taking this part of the Bible seriously. Okay, then man was created in the image and likeness of God. It's flattering to us when we're told that we resemble someone that we admire. We all have role models and we'd like in some way to resemble them. But have we forgotten that we were made in the image and likeness of God? Is, is it a small honor to resemble the living God? We were created in the image and likeness of God, and whatever that means, it's an incredible honor. So in, in what kind of ways do we resemble God? Well, I've listed a few. God is all-knowing, and we can know things. God is all-wise, and we can have wisdom. God is love, and we have the incredible ability to show and to feel love. God can speak, and we have the ability to speak and communicate. God is the creator, and we have creaturely creative abilities. God is rational, and we have the ability to reason. And if you think about how that sets us apart from all the other animals. There's a part in the movie Braveheart in the beginning where um, young William Wallace's dad is going out um, with some other men to go fight the English. And, uh, and little William Wallace runs up to his dad wanting to join him and says, I can fight. And his dad stoops down and looks at him and pauses and says, I know you can fight, but it's our wits that make us men. Our wits, our rationality is part of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. Okay, now, of course, um, God is infinite in these attributes and we are not. But to share in them in some measure truly makes man wonderful. Okay, then we see that man is given dominion over the other creatures. We are in charge of them to rule over and care for them. We have authority over the other creatures. God is the supreme authority in creation, but he has given us a lower measure of authority over the other creatures. And if you think about that, that is just an amazing honor. 
Okay, then we see that God, um, sorry, that man is created as male and female and commissioned to multiply. Okay, so mankind reflects the image and likeness of God, not as man alone, but as man and woman. Male and female created he them. So maleness reflects the wonderful image and likeness of God, and femaleness likewise reflects the image and likeness of God. Um, See that God personally and carefully created the parents of the entire human race. And, And God gave the responsibility and the great honor of filling the earth with image bearers. So go make a great big human family on earth and love your neighbor as yourself because you're all one big family. And so... When you see a stranger, just remember that that, that person, as uh, perhaps as Justin Kuiper might say, that person is, is kinfolk. <clears throat> right? We all have the same human parents, and so we are all related in that way. Let's, let's remember that. Okay, then we see that man is blessed by God, and God blessed them, the text says. You know, I think the words... God bless you, like many other terms, um, have been cheapened by our culture. Um, I mean, really, how much more blessed, how much happier is someone um, after they sneeze and you say, God bless you? Are you conveying any real blessing or, or happiness there? So just scratch that idea out of your mind for a moment and hear the wonderful words from God. And God blessed them. God gave them the gift of blessedness, of happiness, of joyfulness. God blessed the man and the woman that he created. Then man is given the commission to subdue the earth and is given good food by God. Subdue the earth, bring it under your charge. So nature is in the hands of man to subdue. And if you think of owning a great piece of farmland, um, just think that, that God has given you all that you need to bring it all under your control. He's given you good food to eat, organic food, non-GMO food, good food to eat with seed to plant more, food enough for you, food enough for your animals. The land is in your hands to subdue and to take control of. The animals are under your care. And under your authority, they depend on you for food and love. And the land depends on you. You're to plow it, tend it, water it, plant things in it. And and the reference to the precious stones and the gold really give us the idea of, of natural beauty. And so man was to beautify the earth, to make lovely gardens, to, to, to paint the house and the barn nicely, have dominion over the livestock and subdue the earth. This is really a happy business that God has given to man. And we see that man is commanded by God to work and put under the authority of God. So man is told to work and keep the garden to, and to name the animals. And it's, a, it's, it's great to be given a job and to be given the ability to accomplish that job. And 
you know, good work is really a happy, a happy and fulfilling and joyful thing. And I think sometimes we tend to, to forget that in our, in our sinfulness. But I, I kind of remember uh, with, with Vivian, because uh, it was not so long ago, when she first realized um, that, that she could do things that we were asking her, she understood what, what we were saying. And I changed her diaper and I handed it to her and I said, can you go throw this diaper in the trash? And she was so happy. She grabbed the diaper and ran joyfully to the trash can to do what I asked her to do, right? And as the kids get older, they, they're not quite so eager to, to do what, what we ask them. But the idea of giving, being given a job or given a responsibility and then given the ability to carry that out, that's a, that's a wonderful thing that God has given us. And, um, and so God gives the blessing of work to mankind and then God chose his authority over man by forbidding him to do something, to refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think some people might point to this portion um, in Scripture and, and sort of have the idea, you know, I knew there was a catch to it, right? Everything sounded so good, and then God says, don't, don't do that one thing, right? He's, he's, he's spoiling everything by giving, by giving mankind a command, uh, uh, something that they shouldn't do. But I don't think that's the way to look at it. God gives man the opportunity and the ability to enjoy obedience. And now, those might not be two words that you often hear in the same sentence. Enjoy and obedience. But I, again, I think, um, I think if, if we think, think of a child being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and if you think, if, if your child refrains from doing something that you have forbidden them to do, and in my house, one of the things that we're, we're telling the kids is uh, don't plug in the pencil sharpener. Right? We, we've got a pencil sharpener somewhere, and sometimes when they're drawing, they need a pencil sharpened. One of the rules that we've given, especially to, to Adam, I think Ava can do it now, but um, Adam and Vivian, don't plug in the pencil sharpener. Don't plug anything in. That's, that's dangerous. Don't do that. And so if you think of me telling Adam, don't plug in the pencil sharpener, and then the next day I find that he needs a pencil sharpened, and he goes and asks his mom to help plug that in, imagine what would happen if I stoop down to Adam and I say, hey, Adam, I saw what you just did. Yesterday I told you not to plug the pencil sharpener in, and, and today you needed a pencil sharpener sharpened, and you didn't plug it in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great job. Thank you for obeying me. And if you, if you can imagine his response to that, it would be the joy of obedience. He would look at me and just think, great, right? I, you told me not to do something. I didn't do it. And I'm happy that I obeyed you. And there is a joyfulness to obedience. So I think Adam being given the, uh, being forbidden by God to, to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not a bad thing. Adam's thinking, great. He says not to touch it. I can, I can not touch it, and I can enjoy not touching it. He created me. He's my God. I, I won't do it, and I'll make him happy by obeying him. So I think that's the way to look at the idea of, of, of this prohibition that God has given Adam. It's not that he spoiled Eden by giving him that prohibition. Okay, so man was uh, to work the garden and keep the garden and to name the animals, to do all the work that God gave him to do, and to obey his commands. And all of these things would have created just a great amount of joy for Adam and Eve.
And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us um, how long Adam and Eve enjoyed Eden before they took of the fruit and ate and were kicked out. We don't know how long it was. I don't know if it was a few days or weeks or even years. I'm not sure how long it was. <clears throat> but I, if you can imagine, let's, let's imagine that it was at least one night. Um, if you can imagine Adam laying down right before bed, thinking to himself, you know, I, I love my home. I, I love my job. I love my wife. I, I, I love my God. And, and he's smiling before he hits the pillow or fluffed up leaves or however he went to sleep. Right? You just think of the joy that he would have had just reflecting on, on, on what is going on. I'm in a beautiful home. I've got a wonderful job. I've got a great wife. And I've got a great and loving God. That would either be a big smile on his face before bed, I'm sure of it. Um, finally, man is given the gift of marriage and is naked and not ashamed. So, God institutes marriage. That ought to be clear from this text. This is the closest human relationship possible. And we saw that male and female together reflect the image and likeness of God. Um, God brings them together in holy matrimony, in a wonderful unity. And and I think that's another glorious reflection of the unity within the Godhead. So one man, one woman, and they shall become one flesh. So you think about that, is it, is it any wonder that even the slightest distortion to, to that is an abomination to God? Okay? God is the one who creates man. God creates woman. God creates marriage. And, and they are made to reflect the image and likeness of God. Marriage reflects the unity of God. And again, it should be no wonder to us at all that any distortion to that is just a, a, a horrible abomination in the sight of God. Okay, um, really, does anyone have the right to define what God himself creates? Marriage is something created by God. It's instituted by God. No one, no one but God has the right to define what that is. And then, here's this interesting comment. It's the last comment in the text. Um, they were naked and not ashamed. And I think that's really... Um, that's always a sobering reminder that we aren't in Eden anymore. That they were naked and not ashamed. And I want you to think of nakedness um, in, in three categories. There, there would be physical nakedness. And it would be um, spiritual nakedness and emotional nakedness. So think of nakedness in, in more than just the physical sense, but physical, spiritual, emotional nakedness. Um, Adam would have perfect transparency before Eve. There would be nothing for him to hide from her. Right? She knows all that there is to know about him physically, him spiritually, him emotionally. Nothing, there's nothing about Adam that he would have any shame over. And I think that's, 
an incredible thing. I mean, he, he could tell Eve that, you know, you could you could read every thought in my mind. And, and I've got I've got absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. That's, that's an amazing thing that that nakedness or transparency that Adam and Eve would have enjoyed with each other and that they would have enjoyed before God. They would have had no shame experience whatsoever between themselves and they would have had no shame experience whatsoever before God. God has created them. He's created them very good. He's blessed them. He's with them. There's no shame at all. Before the fall, there was, there was no shame at all. Okay, well, th- there it is. Again, this is just a surface level covering of how man created or uh, how God created man and, and what they looked like a little bit before the fall. And, and as we look at that um, and, and we see mankind created really in, in, in all his glory, he was given, he's called the, the, the pinnacle of creation, we can see that, that he was given a, a very high, high position that God has given him. And, and again, you, you think of the Humpty Dumpty situation, right? That wall was, was so high. And, and we look at that, and, and the question is, well, what good is it to, to look at man as he came from the hand of God? What, what good is it to see how wonderful man was? Is, is there any value in that, right? Man has blown it. We've made a mess of the world. We've made a mess of ourselves. Do we, do we really need to keep going back and reminding ourselves of that? Is there any value in simply reflecting on the idea that something wonderful has been ruined? Now, I think that depends. Because there are situations in which, you know, crying over spilled milk is not going to do you any good. And there's a, there's a kind of a sad story that I have to tell um, about something a spilled milk situation in, in my in my experience, uh, Jackie and I once when we first started coming here or first moved to Clovis, we we were going to yard sales to buy different things for our house and stuff. And and I think I've told you guys before that my dad was in the antique business, and so I've got kind of an eye for for things that are valuable, old things that are valuable. And we went to a yard sale and I found this um, this Abraham Lincoln statue it was a, a bust right the head and the shoulders of abraham lincoln and it was made of brass and I, and I looked at it and it looked pretty neat and i picked it up and i looked at the bottom and it was signed and and i thought well this looks pretty pretty valuable so i asked the guy how much for the lincoln head and he says five bucks and i'm thinking all right so give him the five bucks take take it back and i'm thinking i'm gonna i'll at some point i'm gonna look up online to figure out who the artist is it was signed and and find out what this thing is worth. So I put it in the back of the car and we went to another yard sale and bought some silly thing and I opened the back of the car to put it in and, and it fell on the ground. So Lincoln's got a big dent in his head and the neck is broken. It's some plaster with, uh, with like a plated brass or something like that. And I'm looking and I'm just thinking, oh man. But I still went online to look, right? To find out what the undamaged Lincoln Head would be worth two thousand dollars, right? It's auctioning for two thousand. Uh, but there, there was no, there's no good news about that. that. That was just spilled milk. I got no value from that. It was just a sad experience that I kept reflecting back on, and I don't know why I wanted to see what what an undamaged version of this piece would go for. 
you know, damaged, it wasn't worth anything. <laughs> I'd be, happy, be lucky if I got my five bucks back for it. But that, that would be a situation in which looking back at something wonderful being ruined would be pointless. There would be no value to it at all. But it's not the same thing when we look back at, at our condition, our unfallen condition. A, as we do that, we, we come to see how far we fell from, where we fell from. And as Christians, we look to, to see what we've lost and what we're going to get back. And so we have good news to say and good news to reflect about the, the, the greatness and the severity of the fall. And so, again, our consideration of the fall really has great value. Um, the, the truth about the severity of the fall tells us of our lost condition before God. It tells us why our relationship with God is broken. We're, we're lost. We're fallen. We are in dire need of reconciliation with God. And you know, as I'm thinking about this, after all the wonderful things that God tells us about man in Genesis 1 and 2 that we went over, it's it, the greatest thing, the best part about about it all is that we were made to live in relationship with God. Man is a living creature made to live in relationship with God, to be near to him. And uh, Augustine says um, famously that, that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Okay, God made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so we were made to live in close relationship with God. Um, and, and fallen man is, is dying. And they're dying outside of relationship with God. Without being reconciled to God, they're without God and without hope. But we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5.11. And as John Newton, the, the hymn writer of Amazing Grace, puts it in, a, in another hymn, you know, he, he has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Nigh, near. Right? He's washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. And so let me, let me say this in closing then. I recognize that there are big differences between Eden and heaven. Okay, as I look at the Bible, there, there are great differences between Eden and heaven. Our place in heaven is going to be better than it was in Eden. No doubt about that. As beautiful as Eden was, it was a place of testing for Adam. Okay, uh, in Eden, there was the potential to sin, and to fall away. And in heaven, that potential will be gone. Um, again, one of, the, one of the hymn writers says, um, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And so heaven is a place where there will be no more sin no more falling away from God. And I'm sure that there are many other differences between heaven and Eden, but I want us to remember this great similarity. The great similarity will be that in heaven, as in Eden, we will again be in near relationship with God himself. That which was broken 
by the first Adam is mended by the second Adam. And if you just think about that, what, what an amazing thing it is to be reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I really can't think of anything more, more glorious than that. And, and the wonderful thing really is, is this for us this morning, is that reconciliation and restoration with God is not something that is just promised to us in heaven. That, that promise for us starts right here and, and right now. We enjoy the glory of a restored relationship with God right here and right now. And so come, let us again find rest in the God who made us for himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,